This is the Youth Worker Collective podcast from Young People's Ministries. You don't have to be in ministry alone with resources, coaching, games, and more at umcyoungpeople.com. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to the Youth Worker Recharge. My name is Chris Wilterdink, and I'm the director of Young People's Ministries, a part of Discipleship Ministries of the United Methodist Church. And Jeremy Steele and I uh, have been hanging out, just trying to take a, a little bit of time and do some kind of devotional and soul care for youth workers. And today we've got uh, David Thompson, uh, who is uh, a repeat guest for us. David is coming to us from Trinity United Methodist Church in Birmingham, Alabama. So, David, thanks for joining. Yeah, absolutely. I'm super glad to be here. David, I, you know, when I'm looking at... Um, all that is ahead of us. We, you, we were talking um, before about uh, the church, and I think all churches are going to be in this season of rebuilding, right? Uh, yeah. Not like strengthening connections, but like reestablishing connections, right? And um, and so I, you know, I'm curious as you're in that season. Where is it that, that that people need to start? Like, what is what are the sort of question zero you need to ask before you start moving into what that rebuilding looks like? How do you how do you begin sort of evaluating yeah. things? Yeah, I think that the <laughs> that's a great question. And the first question is, do we need to rebuild? Um, yeah. and, and you know, maybe maybe that's the starting point is. Uh, we we were talking earlier about the, thinking about the Nehemiah story of you know, the walls are down. Of course, Nehemiah, you know, feels this burden to come back to a place where he's never been before, uh, probably, and and um, and help be rebuild these walls for um, this this place that's meaningful to his faith. But again, it's you know, it's way before he was alive it had has um, you know been banished from. So you know, it comes back and and, and his thing is. You know, we're, we're going to do this um, and we're going to do it as a community. Everyone's going to play a part. But I think, that, you know, the first question he was like, is, can we do this? I mean, do we need to rebuild? And I, so I think that's a good question for folks to, to address is to say, is what we're trying to do the way we used to do it? Is that is that what we should do? Should we should we rebuild that wall the same way? Um, mm-hmm. Now, and that's not saying don't do youth ministry. It's just maybe don't do youth ministry the same way. Um, does the wall need to change? Does it need to look different, different material? Um, whatever that is, I, I think that's, that's, that's the starting point question. It's that, it's that beginning with why, you know, so often in youth ministry, we are, we're doing the what's all, uh, so much. Yeah. And, um, we have an opportunity to do the why what will be difficult. I think for a lot of folks is, um, you know, you build at the beginning of your ministry or rebuild at the beginning of your ministry. And then, then you maintain and uh, at coming out of COVID, everybody's going to have to rebuild. Um, all the walls are knocked down. And right. so everybody's rebuilding. It's um, at first you have to remember how you did that process. But but uh, you, you, you got to everyone surrounding you is going through the same process. So I think it's a, an interesting you can't learn from other folks because we're all kind of doing it at the same time. Um, yeah, it's really unique kind of set of circumstances that, you know, uh, everybody went through COVID, right? Everybody had this shared crisis, uh, the shared trauma. And uh, yeah, you know, I, and I know that like, 
I live on the West Coast. I live in California, and, and we are, you know, still uh, worshiping online only. Um, and so, in one way, it's been a little more difficult because things have been a little more locked down out here than in other places. But in another way, it's also been it's been helpful, right? Because we actually can we actually can be like, hey, David what happened when you showed back up the first week? Right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and what about the, I, I really don't care as much about the first week as about like the 10th week. Yeah. yeah. Right. What was, wh- where did it settle in? Um, so I, I guess that's a question to ask for places that are not sort of as far along in the reopening as you are. Um, where, where is that? For you guys, what sort of percentage do you feel like you settled in at as attendance wise? And I'm curious too, like not just like attendance wise, but engagement. Are, are people did people come back exciting, more engaged, or tired, less engaged? Yeah, that's a, that, that's a good question. And, and for us, we're not fully back, so we're kind of eased in. We're still right. under uh, one of the best things that we did, you know, as as our churches, we kind of we created a task force. Um, Right. Which are always better than committees because task force have end dates, right? Committees never end. <laughs> um, so we created a task force of folks who were, who were smarter than us and could help us make those decisions. So it never became a singular thing. It wasn't my decision when we met back or um, anybody else's in, in, in on staff. It was this committee of folks who are invested in, in, um, in understanding uh, the medical side of that and the logistical side of that. So we've kind yeah. of leaned in on, on those folks We'll, we will kind of begin to open up. I mean, we've been at, you know, at a, at a small capacity, um, about 10 or 15% for this, uh, the last few months. And we'll, in June will be our date to kind of reopen. Right. Um, so we're still, and, and I guess we're still trying to learn about what that will look like. Yeah. Um, but, but really are as a church, um, we've, we've just continued to hammer, like, let's not just start things back cause they used to go and, and, yeah. um, and making sure we ask good questions to people because those folks are going to be interested in, um, in you know, starting back their their knitting club or or you know these other little small things that used to exist. And now is our, now is our opportunity to ask good questions. In other words, so yeah, no, that's good. I, I think my um, next question actually has to do with the the ability to host those conversations and ask those questions, also, right? Um, uh, I know that in our kind of pre-conversation, you also mentioned starting with the why, um, which comes out of, you know, just a ton of like Simon Sinek's work and the golden circle and those things and being so intentional about knowing, you know, why we do what we do. Um, and your comment about the Nehemiah story, um, just kind of has been rattling around in my brain this entire time because, you know, here's Nehemiah that comes back to Jerusalem a Jerusalem that he had no idea what it was like before. Cause like you said, it was before his lifetime, the walls are down. And so the, the city is vulnerable. Um, and, and I think I've been in a lot of conversations the last maybe two months about how people feel like the church is just in a very vulnerable position because it's uh, unsure of its ministry or it's unsure of its purpose. It's unsure of its why. Um, so I'm, I'm wondering if if you might have a few answers, at least from, you know, Trinity Birmingham's perspective. Um, what are some of the whys that you keep coming back to as a ministry leader and as a congregation? Yeah, I think it, I think it 
for each church setting, it's going to be whatever those core principles. And, you know, have you had an opportunity to redefine what those are? I think that's where I would say as a church, if you haven't opened up yet, let make sure you have that conversation with folks and say, what, what are we, what are, what are we want the church to be on the other side of this? Um, for a while, when it was indefinite, you never really, th- I mean, that question was kind of looming, but you never knew when the end was going to come. And now that we kind of see some light at the end of the tunnel, it's time to, to be able to really define what that is and then begin to announce it and, and teach that. So for us, again, I, I think it's, you know, it's what do we want to look like as a church? Well, I think we have to start emphasizing community, mm-hmm. um, you know, in youth ministry. Uh, I was talking to somebody the other day, you know, there's this belief that, uh, you know, large group gatherings are no longer um, going to be a, a part of youth ministry. Um, kids don't need to be entertained. And I think that in some ways, uh, that's that true. You know, for when, when I was first starting youth ministry, every kid didn't have a cell phone. So the idea of being entertained, we, we could do fun things and, and that would be something that drew them. They, they have ultimate entertainment in their pockets, all right, uh, that they, they carry around with them. So what we have to, to realize is that uh, nothing can substitute for community, uh, even social media. So uh, that would be as, as a youth ministry, I would say, let's make sure we focus in on that. Uh, we've, you know, it, it's for a lot of folks, they've really been able to do some, some pretty neat and creative discipleship things from a distance, but you can't, you can't, uh, you can't duplicate community. So um, I, I think defining those things again, for us, it's, it's about community. It's about um, making sure that everybody has an opportunity to, to be in discipleship and really reemphasizing that about what does it mean? What, what does a fully committed disciple of Christ look like helping define what that is and, and, and then providing those things and, and trying to knock all the other peripheral stuff away, but there's really focusing on, on what this is what we define as a fully devoted disciple of Jesus Christ. Then um, let's make sure we are emphasizing those things. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, and, and I see so many people get stuck in the, this is what we want to do and how are we going to do it without taking that step back to ask why we're doing these things in the first place. And right. so being able to lean back on that idea of, you know, our activities, everything that we do informs your growth as a disciple as it forms community. Right. And I think online stuff and and social media pieces will continue to be a part of that. You know, those aren't going anywhere. Um, But like you mentioned, there's definitely a difference between a, a virtual only sort of experience and the relationship and the connection that you can get out of that as opposed to what you can do when you've got a combination of in-person stuff with yeah. online stuff. Yeah. For so long in the church or so often in church, we get the cart so far ahead of the horse. And for some, some ministries they've been, you know, they've been going on for 60 years there, you know, the horse is, you know, is, is dead and the cart is still going down the path and <laughs> we don't know why we do it. We're not sure what, what we're doing or why we're doing them. And so uh, this is the great opportunity to ask why, why, why is this important to, uh, to not, you know, squelch ministry, um, mm-hmm. or people who are passionate about things, but to, to reprioritize, right? I think that's, uh, we had a conversation about just even our Wednesday evening programming. It's like, what are our, our priorities? Um, and, and what, you know, we can have these secondary things, but, but they have to remain secondary. We have to keep, um, what the, and the, the important, the important, and then the secondary things can happen, but they cannot take precedence over the important, what we define. And again, we get to define that. That's the great part. We can look right. back to scripture pray about it and we get the opportunity to redefine that. So. Yeah. And, and I think that's, that's so important. Um, you know, it's, I, it's interesting 
to hear people say, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm a person that generally thinks that like the most definitive claims are um, probably not right. Like my, my world is so messy. Like to hear that you had a conversation where somebody said like entertainment is over yeah, exactly. in youth ministry. You're like, well, I mean, can we not have fun sometimes? Yeah, like, exactly. <laughs> yeah. uh, but I, but I do think that like, I think that the other piece, when you talk about rebuilding all these questions that you have to ask and the values that you have to sort of look at again and say, which things are the most important. Um, the other piece is that it's going to be messy. Yeah. Right. It, you're going to be a hundred percent sure that you'd never need to have fun again in, in your youth gathering and something might not work about that. Yeah. Right. And so I think the other piece is sort of constantly reevaluating. Right. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, and asking, asking the kids, Right. Asking the adults, asking the parents, having that conversation happen where there's, you know, where all the stakeholders are at the table and um, have voice and are are doing that reflection together. Right. Yeah, I think you're right, Jeremy. I was talking to a friend about and he he kind of presented this analogy of it's as if you bought a house and it fit fit with, with with what your situation was when you when you bought it, and then you, know, you had family, and you added to it, and you changed, you painted rooms, you did all this great. It was, it wasn't perfect because you know right. your family's grown and things have changed, but it was you know it was it was yours, and then a tree fell on top of it. And right. the question is, would you build it back the exact same way that it was, or would you say, hey, let's sit down and think about now we have an opportunity, we're we're in the same place. Sure, it, was, it stinks that that tree fell, and 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 yeah. we you know been through that season. But what would we do now to be able to build it back to the way that we want it to be, to to be the the best way to to meet the needs of each person in the family? And again, yeah. I think we have that opportunity uh, to do that. That's a great yeah. image, and I love that image. It, it it also makes me think of you know in in like transitional times for youth ministry or ministry leadership as well when the leader of that youth ministry who has built that house moves on, the next person to come in looks at everything and be like, huh, like, I wonder <laughs> why right. they chose to do it that way. That's, that's right. Shag carpet. That's right. That's what weird. <laughs> All right. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, thanks again for inviting me to come back and share, especially this season, which is a little bit more hopeful as we slowly begin to emerge from the pandemic. And so I was praying about what to share today uh, that might be something that can help uh, you recharge. Uh, a verse that came to mind was one of my favorites. Uh, well, it comes from one of my favorite chapters in Scripture, and that's from Matthew 25. If you're familiar with Matthew 25, Jesus is telling three stories in this, three parables about the kingdom of God. And these are the, the last public teachings of Jesus before he's arrested in, in Matthew's gospel. So in a lot of ways... These are Jesus' last words to that large group of followers who have been listening to his teachings. Now, the middle story of the three is, is a story about a master who is, who is going out of town, totally shakes things up uh, by entrusting 
three of his servants with everything, with, with talents. So imagine to, he gives five talents to the mechanic. He gives two to the landscaper. He gives one. Now, a, a talent, talent would, would be about uh, worth about 75 pounds of pure silver. So for these folks, it would have been the equivalent of uh, 15 years of a salary. 15 years. Could you imagine? Now, we know that these servants, they respond in different ways to the talents that are entrusted to them. And when the master comes home, he praises the ones who took risk, who pushed forward with what was entrusted to them. And you may remember his response. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. You, you've been faithful with a few things, so I put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. When I think about uh, this season of ministry, it can, be, it can feel like we've been shaken up. And it can definitely feel like we've been entrusted with a whole lot. I was, um, I was 10 years old the first time I, I ever went to an estate sale. I don't know if anyone has been to an estate sale or if they happen all across the country, but uh, an estate sale is similar to a garage sale or like a yard, yard sale, um, but it's inside the house and the items have not been moved. Uh, basically, you, you, you walk around the house as if that person is still living there. Now, oftentimes an estate sale happens because someone has passed away. Uh, and the family has taken the, the things, the items that they would like to to keep, and then they just leave the stuff and people walk through the house. Or if someone has moved to, uh, to a nursing home or something like that. But you walk through, and, and many times, again, the, the place is the exact same as if the person lived there. You just go through their closets and their drawers until you find what you need. So when I was 10, I went with my dad and my dad's friend, um, to, to an estate sale of a person who had just passed away. I did not, we, we did not know them, but my, my dad's friend was looking for a TV. And this, the guy who had uh, passed away and lived in that house had owned a, a bunch of TVs. So my dad was walking around the house and, 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 and uh, saw in the, the office, this paperweight, this gold paperweight. Uh, and it said GMC 50 years of service, 1919, to 1969. It, it was sitting on the desk in the bedroom. And my dad bought that paperweight. He thought it was pretty cool. And so he brought it out to me outside and he showed it to me. And on the way home, we, we started to kind of begin to imagine this man's life and his story. Again, we did not know him, but we began to, to dream about it and just share with each other. We, we imagined that he just got out of high school or even if he finished work and he he took this job on the lines at GMC. We imagine him working hard to show his father that he was grown up, that, that he was finally a man. We dreamed about that he probably took on hours to, to save up money to, to get his own place, to move out of his parents' house. How he might have taken on a double, double shift so that he could save up enough money to get his girlfriend the perfect engagement ring. We dreamed about he probably working weekends, nights, so that he could have the house just right when they brought their first baby home. Or how he might have worked double shifts so that his sick mother-in-law could move in or worked holidays so that his children could have the education that, that they had dreamed of and that he had always dreamed of for them. Maybe they were going to be the first ones 
in the family to ever go to college. And then we, we dreamed about that day where he said, 50 years, it's time to retire. And the company was going to throw a huge banquet for all those folks who were, who were going to retire that year. And how that last day of work, he drove home and over, over the garage door, there was a banner that said, congratulations, dad, on retirement, 50 years of service. We imagine that banquet, that retirement ceremony uh, where he was all dressed to a tee. Maybe he rented a tuxedo. His wife had bought a new dress. His family had drove, driven in from out of town and they walk into the, the, the banquet hall and they have the center table with, with name place cards around their table for each person in his family. They sit down to a delicious steak meal and folks from, from the company come to congratulate him and, and thank him for all of his hard work and dedication. We imagine after everyone has finished the meal that the president of the company, who we'd never met before, goes up to the podium and talked about dedication. He talked about sacrifice. And then he called out those names, the folks who were retiring that year, who, who'd maybe served 20 years. And people clap and they walk up to the stage. And they get a plaque. And then the, the president uh, names those folks who were retiring that year, but had, had, had worked at the company for 35 years. And people clap and they go up and they meet the president of the company and he, they, they may get a button or something. And then the president says to the audience that there was a man in this, the building that had been working there for 50 years. We imagine they call out his name and everyone stands to their feet. 50 years of service. That's a long time. We imagine him walking up to the stage, shaking the president's hand. And then the president handing this velvet box inside of it this paperweight. And he comes back to his family, shows it to him. They all ooh and, and awe over this, this paperweight, 50 years of service. That's a long time. 50 years, thousands of hours, tons of headaches, sacrifices. I mean, 50 years is, is a long time to work anywhere. Friends, I don't, I don't know about you, but Working in the church is not what I thought it would be. I remember when I was volunteering and, and, and teaching youth Sunday school in college, when I was in college, I remember thinking the only thing that would be better than this is to actually get paid to work in a church. I dreamed about the discussions that we would have around the water cooler or in the break room about our favorite disciple or favorite book of the Bible or, or participating in day, daily Bible studies and with other fellow staff members. I dreamed about a slow pace of, of life, a slow pace at work, a place that valued Sabbath, valued family time. Wow, was I wrong, right? I mean, the church is fast paced. It's hurried. And it's even overwhelming at times. We get overwhelmed by the people coming in and out, hearing and helping folks through stories of, of broken homes, of of abuse, of difficult diagnosis, trying to reflect God's love to a broken and hurting world is hard. And then you throw this pandemic in the mix and it, it can feel hopeless. What am I to do with all that is entrusted to me? I'm not equipped. I, I'm not worthy. I am just a servant. I mean, did, 
Did Jesus know how difficult it can be to feed his sheep? Did he understand how ungrateful, hurtful church people can be? Yeah. Yeah, Jesus did. And Jesus does. And serving God in the local church is not easy. At least it's not for me. But I thank God that it is my call. I thank God that I am entrusted with more than I am worthy to handle. That day at the estate sale, my dad bought that paperweight for 15 cents. He could have got it for 10 cents if he would have waited for one more day. 50 years of service. My prayer is that we can remember that we are entrusted with much, more than we are worthy to be trusted with. May we look forward to a day when our master calls us to that heavenly banquet, when Jesus calls your name and he calls my name and he says, 50 years of service. Well done, good and faithful servant. Come and share in your master's happiness. Friends, thanks for being my partner in ministry. And I I look forward to that banquet where we get to celebrate you. Blessings. Will you pray with me? God, you're good. And again, thank you for this time. And thank you for the ministry of those who are listening to this and whatever is going on in their life at the moment they get to listen. I pray, Lord, that that you remind us that you've gifted us with, with more than we are capable to handle on our own. And that means we have to depend upon you. Lord, we may take the gifts and the blessings and the abilities that you've equipped us with and use it to change your world so that when you come, you say, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, David. Um, You know, it's interesting. You were talking about those expectations of what working at church is like and how many of those are not um, accurate. Uh, And yet, you know, I, so I, I, like you have um, spent some number of decades in, uh, in youth ministry. And along the way, that means that you have young people, uh, young adults, I should say, um, come alongside you as staff members you know you get to witness people's first experience being on staff at a church right and uh and and seeing it through their eyes you know that there's that that you, you get to watch the frustration or disappointment or whatever and um and i and i've thought several times like i, I i've i've gotten to this habit of actually having a conversation being like, Hey, I want you to know, like, here's what you should expect. It's, it's not like a, uh, and a day long devotional time, <laughs> right? It's, you know, uh, but there is part of it that, that I, that I think, you know, the church gets wrong. Right. Yeah. And, um, and that having paused, for a moment because of COVID in a lot of ways, we have the opportunity to, to chart a different course. And I don't mean how we started our conversation with 
the idea of rebuilding like our program, but like actually how we do ministries, what we expect of coworkers and volunteers. Curious if, if you had to build the house again, um, and I don't mean the programs. Yeah. Uh, what would you say? Okay. You know what? We didn't do this just right. And I don't mean for your context only. I know that you know a lot of places. Like, what are the bad habits that we got into that we need to say, let's see if we can start out not being that way? It's a good question. It's it's tough. I think it, you know, in this season for me, I think that, um, and I'm trying not to not think programmatically, but I think that an emphasis on um, small, um, but but many, rather than one large gathering. In other words, it's uh, what where we as a local church um, kind of had some some real success uh, in ministry was through like accountability small groups. Mm-hmm. It wasn't you know it's um, our, our our people coming together realizing they're in the same dealing with the same things. Um, it wasn't that, that was the focus instead of just about large corporate worship because we were unable to do that at, at, a, at, a, at a large scale. So that was where the beauty to me, I think, might be is to say, hey, let's let people know. Again, that's that old adage that they, they can belong before they have to believe that there's no um, you don't have to you have to bring stuff in um, and be ready. But you can just come and um, and open up and be and, and, and being a part of a community that, that can is going to support you and encourage you through difficult times. And, um, that's, you know, that was pretty beautiful. Cause I, I mean, for me, selfishly, I got to really know people instead of just being up in front and speaking, uh, I got to really get to know what was going on in their hearts. And, um, it was pretty, pretty, uh, and ministry wise was pretty powerful moments for sure. Yeah. You know, one of the things as I'm thinking about that is, um, I, I would like the church to get really serious with its staff and leaders about Sabbath. Yeah. Like, like if I had a youth worker, if you just, it's one of the 10 commandments, right? So kind of a big, big one. Uh, if I had a youth worker, a staff person that was constantly lying, another one of the big ones, right? We'd have conversation about it. Yeah. They kept lying to everybody like it, we'd have a more difficult conversation. Um, but when somebody works seven days a week, eight days a week, <laughs> we don't, we don't, ha- we, we might say like, Hey, you should take some time off, but there's not like that real seriousness yeah. about you're not caring for yourself and you're going to burn out. Yeah. Which I think means like you, you shouldn't have a, a seven day long trip. Yeah. Unless there's some way that you can have like, so maybe seven days, but like 10 days. How, yeah. how does that work? How do you, how do you take Sabbath when it's a 10 day long foreign trip? Right. I, I don't know. Yeah. I, you're, you're exactly right, Jeremy. And then you mix in, the, in, in that with, um, you know, serving the church, you know, so, yep. so it's like, it's very just, I'm, I'm a workaholic. Right. Um, yeah. And uh, you know, this addiction is one different than others in that you get affirmation 
and you get praise and you get raises the more that the, the yep. more you feed into that addiction and in the church it's even can be even more dangerous because you can easily justify um, yeah. being there because it's, it's the lord's work right and so it, it right. is hard and uh, there's very few people and companies or leaders that are going to push you away and say tell you to go home unless you're about to break right it's, right. it's too late so right. which it almost uh, is too late right you know, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So I think that's, that's, that's a, that's a great thought. And I think building that structure, it is, it's, um, it makes it attractive to be a part of it, the, the church, if that was, you know, there, because it is countercultural, uh, yeah. which is what we're, we're, you know, we're called to be. So. Yeah. I think about those young adults that we've burned through those young youth yeah. workers oh, yeah. and like, had somebody said, I'm sorry, you cannot show up today. Yeah. Like you can't, you can't be here. I know you want to be here, but you can't. Yeah. And there's yeah. also a difference between just like, you know, somebody encouraging you to take a day off and legitimately enjoying some Sabbath time. Yes. You know? And right. so like David, one of, <clears throat> one of my questions for you is, you know, you, you talked at the beginning of the devotion about the things that sort of made you fall in love with the idea of being in ministry. Mm-hmm. Uh, so even knowing now that you have taken the path where you are on this, you know, paid track, you're in full-time professional ministry how do you carve out the space for yourself that helps you still reconnect and do those things that made you fall in love with ministry in the first place? How do you, how do you find some of that Sabbath time? Yeah, that's, and I'll be honest, Chris, that's a struggle for me. Um, mm-hmm. I have to be very intentional and, and with, um, it, it can't just be, I'll take a couple of hours uh, or even a day. I have to be intentional of having something, some action of inaction, right? I have to have some kind of, plan to do nothing or to, to really rest or to, to, to find the space to be able to be filled up and, and make plans. I got to put it on my calendar, um, mm-hmm. which is, you know, it's to think about it silly, but it, if I, there's no intention, intentionality, then it's, um, I'm, I'm going to miss it or I'm going to work on top of it. So uh, I've got to really block that out, um, and be intentional, but it's something I really struggle with. It's, it's like I say, it's, um, workaholism is, is something I battle uh, and it, it's not healthy and, and you see it destroying families and, um, and it's something I really, I, I have to be very intentional about. It's, it's just such an interesting pattern, right? And, and it's not unique to church stuff either. Um, right. I, I have a friend here in uh, Franklin who builds houses <clears throat> and he used to be one of the like main project managers for, you know, like a big development home builder, right? Where they would buy so many acres at a time and he would build, eight or 900 houses, right? He'd be in charge of the staff and making sure everything got where it needed to be in those things. And he was, he enjoyed the process of building a home and talking with a family and, and putting a house together that met their needs. And then he was so good at it that he became a manager. And at that point, he only got to talk to people where something had gone wrong in their home building process. And it was awful. Because he wasn't doing the things that he loved anymore. And yeah. so it, it, it's a weird part of, of ministry, like you're saying as well, where you end up being so great at some things that then all of a sudden you get asked to do stuff yeah. that maybe you're not as spiritually gifted for, or it's just not as natural and life-giving as, as what started you on the path to ministry in the first place. Yeah, that, that's the tip I try to give to every, every person that, that I manage that manages other people. Um, I, I say, you, you need to write down the things that, the reasons why you got into ministry or, or as uh, what has God uniquely designed you to do? That's your call, right? You need to write those down 
and you don't need to give those away uh, because that that's where that's where burnout comes in when you start to do the things that that you're not enjoying doing and and, you do, and you're still spending a lot of hours so now live into how you're uniquely designed into that call and 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 then uh, and find other people who are good at other things so often as managers what we do is we hire people who are just like us and then we give them the things that we enjoy doing and then we're like man this is not fun anymore right um, <laughs> right so you, you got to be wise about that about how you uh you you're you're leading other people and i think that's a good tip for folks is to and make sure you stay focused on the things that you're enjoying. Now that sometimes doesn't get, mean you get to move up, right? That means you have to kind of stay where you are, but that's, mm-hmm. uh, again, that's how God uniquely designed you for that unique purpose. Yeah. Well, thank you so much again, David, uh, for your vulnerability and, uh, and all of our, um, our time together today. 